Malachi, reading from chapter 2, verse 17, uh, through to 3, verse 5. And it's entitled, uh, Breaking Covenant Through Injustice. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. Or, where is the God of justice? I will send my messenger who will prepare the way for me, before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a laundress soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring, bring offerings in righteousness, and, offer, and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord, as in the days gone by, as in former years. So I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. Amen. So let's have a look. Uh, let's get back into Malachi. Let me pray and then we'll, we'll get stuck in. Father God, please speak to us uh, through your prophet Malachi. He's my messenger. He's your messenger. We pray that this morning by your Holy Spirit, he'll be a messenger to us as well as a messenger to Judah in the past. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've seen as we've been going along that um, Malachi calls Judah back to a back to the covenant that the Lord has made with his people. The Lord has loved them um, and he's chosen them to be his people. But they've taken the means of grace lightly. By that I mean um, they've been given this way um, to cover over their sins, um, to come back to the Lord and know that they're forgiven. Now, they've been given the sacrificial system, but they treat it lightly, even disrespectfully, um, by bringing... Um, blemished sacrifices. Uh, we call them roadkill offerings. And they've broken faith with the Lord uh, and with one another by breaking faith with the wives. They're divorcing them so that they can remarry outside of faith. But these are symptoms. These are just symptoms of a bigger problem. And the bigger problem is that their heart has gone. Their heart is no longer in this covenant relationship with the Lord. There's no love, there's no passion. So anaesthetized by their own sin, they are bored and they're just not really bothered about God and about Christianity. And it's now come to a head. It's come to the most serious situations. And the Lord's charge against them is this, that they have wearied him with their words. They have wearied him with their words. Now that doesn't sound so serious, does it? To have wearied God with their words. But think about it for a moment. This is um, the Lord Almighty who doesn't slumber or sleep. This is the one of whom Isaiah said, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He is a God of inexhaustible energy, and yet he is terminally tired 
uh, of the way his people talk about him. And actually what he is saying, we will see today, is that he has reached the end of his patience. What a dreadful place for Judah to have arrived at. What are they doing? What have they done? Uh, what are they saying? Um, how have their words made the Lord weary? Well, they're saying this. They're saying that the Lord is pleased with those who do evil. All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord and he's pleased with them. That's what they're saying. He must be, they think, because um, the evil people are getting on very well. Uh, thank you very much. So they're looking at the Persians who have oppressed them um, and they think God is just not bothered. In fact, quite the opposite. Um, our God is pleased with those who do evil. It's great blasphemy, actually, isn't it? And they're saying, where is the God of, of justice? So uh, they're feeling downcast because they've, they've been oppressed and the Lord is doing nothing about their oppressors. It's reminiscent of Psalm 73, isn't it? And also they're fed up um, that the Lord has not come, uh, brought his powerful presence back to this temple uh, that they have made. They've done the right thing. They've rebuilt uh, the temple, albeit a smaller version, a less spectacular version um, than the one um, Solomon has made. And uh, the Lord has not visited it with his powerful presence. And they're wondering whether they can be really bothered. The Lord doesn't judge his enemies. If the Lord doesn't come and powerfully and show his presence, can they really be bothered to carry on uh, in the faith? Surely it's time for him to do one or the other, and if not, then really we're not all that bothered with carrying on. But they're making, in doing this, they're making a number of, of other errors. And one of the key ones is that they're speaking to one another and not to the Lord. You see, the complaint in itself is okay. It's acceptable. The psalm writers can uh, repeatedly uh, complain um, to the Lord. They go into the Lord's presence. Sometimes they crash into the Lord's presence and make their complaints. Why, Lord? Where have you gone? What are you doing? Why come quickly, Lord? And even Jesus um, quotes the, the psalms on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So one writer says, God doesn't mind when we address our complaints and questions to him, but he is wearied by our complaining about him. Where you take your complaints is critical. Because in these complaints, they're contradicting the character of the Lord that he's revealed to them. The Lord has revealed himself to them. A God who delights when his people obey him. A God who rules over everything and longs to do good to his people. But they're saying that he doesn't care, that he doesn't see, that he interested, that he's not a good God at the end of the day. They're contradicting the character of the Lord. But by speaking to one another and not to the Lord, they are spreading unbelief amongst the community. They're spreading a, a mood of distrust, spreading a mood of not taking God seriously. How difficult is it for one of them to say, I, I trust God, I believe in God, um, when the people around them are, are complaining God, are complaining about him. And so they're failing to do something that they ought to be doing, which is to encourage one another 
uh, in conversation. Uh, it's a great little psalm, Psalm 34. Uh, and, and the psalm writer starts with, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. So he wants in his community to be a person who praises God because that actually encouraged people who are going through hard times. And he says, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. You need these people within the community. In fact, we should all be these people in the community of God who, who say, I'll glorify the Lord so that those who are downcast uh, will be encouraged. And there are people who say, come on, uh, let's worship the Lord together. And the psalmist goes on to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And Judah, the people of Judah, are failing to encourage one another um, in the conversations that they have. And as before, they're, they're unconscious. They're not conscious of what they're doing. How would we do? They say, they just don't know. As we've seen before, um, all sin uh, blinds. And as we persist, if we persist in, in doing things wrong, we become increasingly blind to the fact that we're doing anything wrong at all. And they're heading for outright unbelief. We'll see that later in the letter. What's the Lord's response? Well, the Lord's response is quite drastic. The Lord's response is that after Malachi, after this particular message, uh, messenger, there, there are no more words for, for 400 years. No more words for 400 years. But he does promise this. He says that uh, the Lord will come to his temple. He'll be preceded by a messenger. Um, but who will endure that day? Who will endure the day of his coming? Who will stand when he appears? Because he'll become like a refiner's fire. And it says he will purify the, the, the Levites so that the offerings of Judah will be access, acceptable. Um, we want the Lord to come. But we have to recognize that if he comes, judgment starts with the house of God. When he comes, he will judge his own people. He won't come and judge Persia in that day. He will come and judge his own people. And then he says there will be a pure priesthood so that there will be pure offerings. But on that day, there will also be a trial. The Lord will come and testify, he says, against, against sorcerers. Against anybody who, who trusts in uh, rituals or supernatural things and that aren't of the Lord. Testify against unfaithfulness, those who don't cherish their wives. Against perjurers, um, those who don't tell the honest truth about one another. Against those who defraud laborers of, 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 their, of their wages, but people who don't um, value the poor, um, don't look after the poor. Those who deprive foreigners of justice, those who uh, persist in, in racism. And it is important that we find ways um, to, to not be racist. It's difficult at the moment because we see this big campaign of Black Lives Matter. And absolutely, um, we want to say Black Lives Matter. Um, there is a problem that the Black Lives Matter hashtag uh, it talks about a whole load of things about rights, not just for black people, um, but for um, LGBT plus as well. There is a, big, a bigger agenda 
um, to the Black Lives Matter um, campaign, which makes it difficult. And we have to find ways, nevertheless, um, to not be part of the problem um, of racism. Because ultimately the Lord will come and testify against his people and people amongst his people who do these things, essentially, but the bottom line problem is that they do not um, fear the Lord. There'll be a trial and the Lord will test people and see where people's hearts are and whether they really fear him. So actually what, what happens when the people of Judah weary the Lord with his words is that he brings this Old Testament era, this Old Testament priesthood um, to an end. This is Malachi, uh, the end of the Old Testament. As we say, no more words for 400 years. The next public thing that happens, the next word of God through, comes through John the Baptist. And actually, if you read at uh, the very beginning of Mark's Gospel, it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Uh, but he sticks in a little bit of Malachi. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So actually, John the Baptist is this um, herald that we see um, uh, predicted at the beginning of Malachi 3. Um, and even Jesus himself says, yes, I tell you, John, and this is the one about whom it's written, I'll send my messenger ahead of you, who'll prepare the way for you. So God's judgment on Judah and this wearying half-heartedness um, of his people is to call the whole thing to an end. And then there is this period of silence until the next thing that happens is that this promised messenger comes and he is John the Baptist. And then he says the Lord uh, will return to his temple. And that is Jesus. Jesus is the Lord himself, the Lord uh, Almighty uh, in, in human form. Come to his people, come to his temple. So as John says, I baptize you with water, but after me comes one who is more powerful. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Jesus comes. He is the Lord returning to his temple to see who of his Old Testament people, the Jews, um, will trust him, will believe in him. And actually, ultimately, to bring um, the final judgment um, on that whole Old Testament uh, system uh, personified by the, by the Pharisees and Jesus brings it to an end he, he clears the temple and it makes it clear that going forward he is the temple he is the place that people gather uh, when they want to come and meet the Lord and then actually Christians are this new priesthood um, uh, Malachi speaks to, to Judah in terms that uh, Judah will understand. Uh, a, a purified uh, Levites who've been refined like gold and silver. Well, actually, in the, in the New Testament, uh, 1 Peter, read 1 Peter 2 if you want to follow this through. Um, Christians are this new purified priesthood. Uh, Peter says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We come to Jesus, the living stone, uh, this new temple, and we're built like stones around him um, into a, a new temple, a new um, spiritual house, and we offer um, spiritual sacrifices. We offer sacrifices of lives and heart and uh, affection that are acceptable to God through, through Jesus Christ. We're a people made holy once and for all by the blood of Jesus. We are a purified, we are the purified Levites. And then we're refined day to day uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in our lives. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that's you and me, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. But what does that mean to us then in practice? I think it means we need to watch our weary words. Watch where you go with your weary words. If you've got a complaint against God, if you've got a, a, a lingering um, resentment against the Lord, go and, go and take it to him directly. I don't think it should surprise us to find when we dig in our hearts what what is our ask yourself today what what is my basic heart attitude to the lord today what is my basic heart attitude is it is, is it love is it passion is it thanksgiving uh, uh, or is it just I, I can't be bothered if you can't be bothered, why might that be? Well, underlying that is there actually uh, just a lingering resentment. We can we can get to that place all too easily for all kinds of reasons. We had a bereavement; something didn't happen the way we wanted it to go. Uh, life didn't take the turn we wanted. Okay, but with that resentment, don't. Talk to yourself about it. Don't uh, don't lick it, lick it, lick the wound of your heart, but take it directly to the Lord. And Psalm seventy three is your pattern, and I commend that to you today for for another reading. Um, he thinks God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart, but he confesses that he'd almost slipped because he looked at the arrogant around him and he thought they just prosper, they just get on with life. Why should I bother being a Christian? When the people out there who say there is no God, they just have great lives. And they're always free of care and they go on amassing wealth. They're, they're rich and they're carefree, he says. And then he recognises that to have carried on speaking speak like that would be to betray God's children, would be to break the faith. He said, I tried to understand this, it troubled me deeply, till I entered the sanctuary of God. You've got to put a complaint. You have to bring it into the sanctuary of God. You have to bring it before the Lord's throne. And he says, then I understood their final destiny. And he understands that they may look carefree and rich in this life. Um, 
but they can be destroyed in a moment. Their lives can turn upside down. They can die at any point in time. And when they do, they will face the Lord's judgment. And he says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was a brute beast before you. If you've got in your heart um, grief that you've not dealt with and, and, and a bitterness, it makes you stupid. It makes you stupid before the Lord. And he, but he recognises at the end, the psalmist comes before the Lord and then he says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You've always got me by the hand. You're guiding me and afterwards you'll take me into glory. Actually, in the end, he says, I've got nothing in heaven other than you. There's nothing on earth that's as good as you. And my flesh and my heart may fail. In other words, I might find I haven't got the strength for things. I might find I've not even got the appetite for things. But God is the strength in my heart. God will give my heart strength to be wholehearted. And he's my portion forever. So take your weary words, your words of grief to, to the Lord. Spend some time in Psalm 73. And secondly, I think if we want the Lord to return, we want the Lord to return to his temple, we want the Lord to come into his church um, with power and with fresh activity, but we have to recognise um, if that's going to happen, then judgment starts with us. Kind of like, we'd like revival to come, uh, by the Lord bringing great judgment on people out there, but it, it doesn't. I, I think um, uh, I spoke with Keith Wilson in the week, and he's been reading a book about uh, patterns of renewal and, and revival. And the Lord renews his church occasionally by bringing in blessings, uh, by a fresh understanding of who he is, and a, fresh understanding of his fatherhood, but real revival. Revival when people turn to, uh, turn to Christ in, in new ways and, and dramatic ways. Um, it, it starts um, when the church are, are deeply convicted um, of sin. If we want revival, then we have to want the Lord to come uh, and get into the deep places of our lives and deeply convince us um, that we're on holy people. I was amazed this week um, to discover that in my heart there's still a chunk of me that thinks I'm essentially a good boy with weaknesses. I'm a nice guy but I've got these weaknesses. So the Lord says no, no, no. If you think you're a good boy, you're a good girl, but you've just got these weaknesses, no. Not, not at all. That is not how the Lord sees you. You're a bad guy. You're a bad girl. You're, you're a wicked person. And you're a wicked person, not just with weaknesses, but with rebellion in your heart. If you haven't reached that point, um, you haven't really uh, grappled with the gospel and haven't as yet um, seen the holiness of this God who is a refined fire. And I was shocked to find that in my heart. But it's still there. So we don't create revival by pretending to be joyful or by geeing ourselves up. I don't think we create uh, revival through a berating kind of preaching either, on the other hand. But we seek this Holy Lord who is a fire, who reveals himself as flame. By asking this Lord to come and say, we are ready, Lord, for you to bring deep, burning conviction 
into our hearts where it needs to be. And to help you with that, we'll be looking at uh, Thomas Brooks. Uh, we'll be looking at, we're looking at 12 ways altogether in which he helps us just to identify sin in our lives. Um, last week we looked at, uh, sometimes we, we find sin because other people are treating us actually the way we have treated them. Um, so sometimes we identify sin in our own lives because suddenly we're getting back the way that we've acted. So last week, which sin do you least like hearing preaching on? I think that's a really good one. Uh, what do you least like to, to hear preached about? Then that is probably the sin uh, which is in your life. Two more for today. Which sin hinders you most from proclaiming God's promises? Um, he says. What is what is stopping you coming to God and claiming the promises of Scripture? Well, that'll point to your sin. And here I thought this actually is, is, is another good uh, another good help. Um, looking look look into the past and were there times when you um, times were tough um, or you're wrestling with sin? What's the what's the thing you are most frightened to be exposed? If if God were to lay out um, everything in your life before everybody else. Today, what's the thing you most find of being exposed? That's where um, sin is in your life. So I think we need to say to ourselves, um, we, or we might say to ourselves, we want the fire of God to come, we want God to come uh, in re reviving fire. But for him to come in reviving fire, he has to come in, in refining fire. Um, as well and maybe this is part of what he's doing in this coronavirus time um, this is fire it is a testing it's a testing to see whether our uh, where our hearts are at uh, it is God's way of, of um, taking away our distractions and bringing, our, bringing us up against ourselves years this time and I would say go to the Lord and say Show me in this time what are the things in my heart that need refining. So those two things we need to see. If we want to see the Lord return in power, let's go um, directly to the Lord um, with our complaints, with our bitterness, with our uh, things we don't understand. And then let's seek that bittersweet um, conviction of the Lord for how he sees us and how he sees our hearts. Let me pray briefly, and then we're going to break out. Um, Father God, we, we want you to come in as a reviving fire um, to renew your church, to empower it. We want you to come with your convicting presence uh, in Staines and Spelthorne and, and down the streets around us. We want you to come uh, in that fire uh, that makes things new, that turns people's hearts to you, but... We recognise when you come in reviving fire, you come in refining fire on your church. And Lord, we say today, uh, with trepidation, that we invite you to come upon us in refining fire. Show us our hearts as you see them, so that our hearts can see you as you really are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.